We're going to continue going through the book of Acts this morning. There was a young boy who met a young girl in high school, and it was one of those stories where everybody who was looking on felt like it was like going to be the happily ever after story for the two of them. Um, they were always found talking with each other. They went to the same school. They'd always walk to class together. Even if they didn't have the same classes, he would walk her to the class, drop her off, say goodbye. And they just had this look in their eyes every time that they looked at each other. You know what I'm talking about? Like that twinkle in their eye when they looked at each other, the smile from a class, across the classroom. They just had this connection. And early on, they knew and said that they loved each other. You know, they spent a lot of time together after school. They hung out all the time. They do each other's homework. And then it was time for the boy to get a job. Well, as he's thinking about graduating high school, he's looking at schools, he's now working, his time felt kind of divided. But every day he still told the girl that he loved her. Then it was time for him to go off to a school. He wanted to study and he wanted to go off into university. And he had a few options on the table for himself. One school was very far away, but it had a good program. And other schools were closer to stay close to his girlfriend. Well, he decided to go off, kind of risk a lot, but to go off far away to this other university where he knew that he could study really hard and maybe get a good job. So that's where he went. He flew across the country and he started school. But you know what? He still said that he loved his girlfriend. So on weekends, he would pay for a ticket to fly back and see her. Amazing sacrifice. And he would spend the whole weekend with her. But then you know what would happen is time went on. A lot of his attention and time went into his studies, went into other jobs that he had to make money to pay his way through, through for school. And those plane flights started happening less and less. Instead, he would make a phone call. He would call her every day, and at the end of every phone call, he would say, I love you, and he would hang up the phone. Well, as time went on, those phone calls happened less and less. Eventually, it was on the weekends, Saturdays, he would be able to pick up the phone and call her. But what they found to happen was most of the time that they would be talking, it was just them catching up. They weren't really able to deepen their relationship because every time they pick up the phone, it was like, hey, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. And it was like the same conversation over and over and over again every weekend. There wasn't enough time for them to spend together. But he still would hang up the phone and say, I love you. As time went on, the phone calls every weekend stopped happening. He would hang out with his friends. He was working hard. He was studying, and yet he would still tell his friends that he met at this school, I still love her. As time went on, he stopped spending time with her, stopped really thinking about her, stopped spending money to go and see her, and yet he still told his friends, I love her. It didn't seem to be the happily ever after that they first thought. Does he really love her? Was his relationship based on convenience? What happened? Now that things were different, busy, some might even ask, did he ever really love her? 
as we're thinking about a story something like this, a story like this, I want us to think about our relationship with God. That oftentimes we tell him that we love him, and yet when our life becomes busy, when it's inconvenient, our life might not reflect a life of obedience or making time for him or time to be with his people or time to do what he commands of us. And yet we still say, yeah, I love him. But does our life truly reflect the love that we confess for him? As we continue to read from God's word today, we're going to see how believers sought to follow Christ even in the face of adversity, when things were not convenient. And so let's take a look at what they asked God for when they spent time praying. What did they pray for? And how will this change the way that we pursue our relationship with Jesus? So you can open up to the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapter 4. And I kind of want to just recap where we've been so far in the book of Acts. Last couple weeks, there was characters that were introduced to us, Peter and John, and they were very brave and they started preaching in the portico by the temple. This is where many of the priests would gather together. And so as they're there, they were speaking to the people and the priests and the captain of the temple. The Sadducees came upon them and the Bible says that they were greatly annoyed by the message that Peter and John had as they were teaching the people, to pro as they were proclaiming Jesus' resurrection from the dead. So they arrested them. And the high priest were there with the high priestly families that were investigating them, trying to tell them to stop preaching the name of Jesus. What's really important to see here is it's the high priests, they were the ones to mediate between man and God. They were the ones supposed to spread the message of Jesus Christ. And yet they're the very ones that are telling Peter and John to stop. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, it says that they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They end up letting them go, finding no way to punish them because the people were all praising God for what had happened. So now we're going to introduce what's happening for our, our sermon this morning in Acts chapter 4, verse 23. Um, I don't know if many of you got to see the Super Bowl that was on a couple weeks ago, but sometimes we tune in to watch the Super Bowl just for the commercials. I don't know if that's you. Um, but one of the commercials that was shown during the Super Bowl was uh, about a TV streaming network, and their whole premise was we grow couch potatoes. And it kind of is a scene of a farm with many people sitting on couches dressed as potatoes as they're watching their favorite TV shows and movies and streaming all kinds of different content. One of the quotes from the, the show, it says, couch potatoes grow big and strong here with the finest content from our TV streaming network. Thousands of TV shows and movies for free. You just have to open up the app and something great will be on. And another person, they show one of the farmers and he says, this country was raised on TV, TV that was easy and TV that was free. You see, we can become so consumed with seeking comfort and sometimes we don't even realize it. As we're thinking about a commercial like this, I mean, it's easy to kind of fall into the life that's comfortable and easy and convenient for us as even entertainment has becoming so much more easy and convenient for us, right? This is just a picture of a reality that we're facing in our culture, the tug on our hearts 
to do what's comfortable, what's easy. But the gospel tells us something different. The gospel tells us that our salvation was accomplished by Jesus serving and suffering. And if we are his followers, church family, we should expect the same in following him. Tim Keller wrote, This offends people, the message of salvation. This offends people who want salvation to be an easy, nice, and comfortable life. Church family, is that us this morning? We've been following Christ when it's easy. Christianity is not a religion that seeks suffering, but the way of Christ is the way of service. And Jesus himself promised that those who hated him would hate his followers. If our lives are filled with affluence and ease, it's worth asking if we're actually following the suffering Savior. And the opposite of ashamed of the gospel is not to be a proud Christian, but the, os- the opposite of ashamed of the gospel is a passionate love to spread the gospel. And so this is what I hope that we would, at a ch- as a church, as we study this rest of chapter 4, well, we're going to be in chapter 4, verses 23 to 31, that it would stir up faith in us that no matter what we're facing, that we would be bold to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so these believers, Peter and John, the early church, they clearly recognize that Jesus as the anointed Messiah and that all who oppose him are enemies of the covenant of God. Among such enemies are the peoples of Israel, even the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the high priests, those who are sure that the people, they are sure that um, they are the people of God and that even if they think that they're people of God, they're rejecting the Messiah. So what's taking shape in the book of Acts so far is that there's a community that sees itself as the true people of God, heirs of the prophets and followers of the Messiah. You see, there's this conflict here with people who believe they're people of God by earning their way to salvation. And yet the true covenant people of God have received this gift of grace through the forgiveness of sins because of Jesus Christ. So if you open up your Bibles, we're going to be in verse 23. Let's read first verse together. It says, When Peter and John, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. See, Peter and John, they're eager to go back to the church to tell them everything that happened to them. The Bible tells us that they went to, doesn't really use the word friends, it's their own. And, it, and so it's important for us to understand what that means. The community, right? The early Christians, people who are like them, like-minded, saved by grace through faith. That this is who they would claim to be their friends, their community, because they had nothing left. For many of them, their own family members, the community, their workplace, their friends rejected them because they loved Jesus. It was all that they had because now they identified themselves with Jesus Christ. They weren't trying to isolate themselves from others, but they relied on the true family of God for their community. They sacrificed being ghosted or excommunicated from their families, their friends, and people that they worked with in their neighborhood because they wanted to be obedient to Jesus, whatever the cost. Church family, how do you relate to this? There's something very special about friendships within the church. I remember growing up going to a public school. Um, I went all the way through high school at a public school, and I had some really great friendships. 
that I made. And yet, even after I graduated high school, I ended up going to a Christian university where I met some friends there. And I never thought it was possible, but the friendships that I had at this Christian university, they grew to a much deeper level because we had so much more in common. That we knew that everything that we went through was because of Christ and God's sovereignty. That we could talk about struggles, sins in our life. We could rely on one another to pray for each other because our faith was grounded on something more than the world can offer us. It was grounded on the truth found in God's word. We could talk about things that my friends from high school would never understand. It was a deeper and more meaningful friendship. What I'm not saying is that we should forsake the friendships that we have that with unbelievers, but there's something precious to godly Christian deep friendships that can change us and help us to be the people that God intends us to be. And so we can seek these deep friendships in the church for the purpose of helping others who don't know Jesus because ultimately our life is not our own. And Peter and John understood this. So here they come, coming to their friends to share everything that happened. I'm sure with this eagerness, maybe even a sense of excitement, even though they were in trouble. And so how did their friends react? We'll take a look. But church family, I also want to extend an opportunity for you that as you come here on a Sunday morning to worship together, how committed are you to the body of believers? Would you say that you have friendships here? And I understand sometimes it's hard to come and to worship and to be committed to a group of, of believers and maybe you don't know anyone. It's hard to get connected, especially in a church our size. But I want to encourage you, many times throughout the year we have opportunities for you to get to know other people. One specific opportunity is coming up March 2nd, which is for all parents, anyone who's serving already within kids and youth ministries as a volunteer, but also all parents are welcome to come here on Saturday morning, March 2nd, to fellowship with one another, to grow in an understanding of how to parent our children, how to be dedicated to the church. So I want to extend that invitation to you that don't just come on Sunday mornings, but participate and give of yourself for the sake of others here. So how did their friends react to Peter and John when they came running? Did they tell Peter and John that what they should have said, like, okay, you shouldn't have even like, mentioned the name Jesus. You know how offensive that can be to people. What are you doing? You need to be more careful. You should stop telling people about, about Jesus and only show them by being kind and being nice and being generous. Did they tell them, you need to be more strategic? We need to take time to go and think about how we can get involved with the people here and share the gospel. Did they tell them, Peter and John, you have absolutely no training in this. We need to make sure that you have specific training before you go and share the gospel. When we face something troubling, how do we respond? Do we think of our own solutions? I know I tend to feel stressed or anxious, angry or upset, sometimes even a sense of depression, scared. But what we're going to do is we're going to take a look, an inside look on how their friends responded. Do you know what they did? They prayed. Take a look in verse 24. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, 
Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in them. They lifted their voices in prayer. I don't know how I would have felt if I knew my friends were just about to be arrested and maybe something even worse happening to them. And they come and they tell me the story. But they just go right to God. Is that how we respond to stress, to trouble? Do we go right to the Lord and cry out to Him and say, Lord, I know you are sovereign over all things. I know I can trust you because you're in control of everything. Or do we tend to try to work things in ourselves and we think, I just need to come up with a better solution. I just need to be wiser. I need to be smarter. We talk to our friends and we tell them what happened, expecting them to tell us something like, it's okay. But instead, they go right to God. It says, when they heard it, they lifted their voices together. The word voices here in the original Greek is actually a singular word, meaning together with one voice they prayed to God. There was probably one person who was praying. We don't know who. But then everyone prayed together as one person prayed. There was unity. The person praying, that's not really the point here, but who they're praying to and how they're praying is more important. Church family, we have an opportunity to come together as a church, corporately, every Sunday morning, but also we have these special opportunities once a month where we gather together for prayer. Did you know that? Usually it's the fourth Monday of the month we come together for prayer meetings. So even tomorrow we're going to have a gathering together and Pastor Austin's going to share something very special with us from his trip, giving us an update about the brothers and sisters in the Middle East, in the Arab Peninsula, and in North Africa. And then he's going to share prayer requests with us and how we can be praying for our brothers and sisters. But this is another opportunity for us to come and gather corporately together to pray, to call upon the name of God, to let him work in our hearts. Would you come? Would you sacrifice your evening and come pray together? If you have certain prayer requests yourself, there's boxes in the back where you can leave prayer requests. And during our prayer meeting, we'll pass out the prayer requests and we'll pray for those requests for 30 days. We want to commit ourselves and we want our church to be a church that prays, that prays together, that we lift our voices with one voice calling on our God. It says, when they said, Sovereign Lord, the word that they used for Lord here is different than the word that we might usually see. It wasn't curios. The thought that the word here for curios is to show supremacy or authority. But the word that they used was despata, which is a title usually used for a master of servants. Why do you think they would use such a word like that when they're calling on God to show their humble state of mind? Lord God, master of servants, because that's who we are for you. We want to give our lives, every single moment of our lives to you, that we bow ourselves before you with this humble servant attitude. God, whatever you want from us, we want to do for you. We want to humble ourselves before because they knew that God was their master. That they would give their life for him because that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. That he came and humbled himself on a cross. Gave his life for us so that we could be reconciled to God. Did you know that in the Old Testament, 
what slaves would do to show that they wanted to follow their master. Oftentimes, slaves would have a debt to pay. Once the debt was paid, they could leave. But sometimes, slaves could say, I want to commit my life to this master because he treats me well. Do you know what they would do? They would take an awl, usually used for puncturing leather, and they would pierce their ear to the door of their master's house, pinning themselves there, saying, I want to give my life to obey you. What an amazing picture of how a humble servant was pierced on a wooden cross, shed his blood for you because he knew that we couldn't fully obey God. But Jesus humbled himself, became like a servant for you, and now calls you to follow after him. You are worthy of this amazing calling that no matter what your past has been like, no matter what you're going through, no matter how inadequate or unequipped you feel to do ministry for the Lord, to serve people, to preach the gospel, you are worthy of this amazing calling because it's based on Christ's faith, because it's based on his obedience, because he clothes you with his righteousness, because he gives you the power of the Spirit to create in you a life that's worth the calling, to give you the boldness that we need to be obedient to him. So they emphasize God's sovereignty. We know that all throughout the scriptures, we see this idea that God is sovereign. And for those of us who have gone through trouble in our lives or stressful situations, or you feel like you have nowhere to turn, to know that God is sovereign gives us so much peace. It helps us to know that when we feel like there's nothing that good that can come of a situation, we can look to God and know, God, you are in control. You are in control of this situation that I just feel like I have nowhere else to turn. There's no other answers, no other people here that can give me help. But God, you are in control. We remember a story like Joseph who was sold into slavery by his own brothers, betrayed, and yet God put him second in command of all of Egypt. He meets with his brothers and forgives them, and he says, everything that you intended for evil, God meant it for good. Church family, I don't know the situations that you're facing, but we know that we will face suffering in this life, that we will face times that are so confusing times that lead us to stress and anxiety, and yet to know that God is sovereign is a foundation to our belief that Jesus is the anointed Messiah, the King over all, that he died on the cross according to the Scripture to fulfill God's will, to fulfill God's purposes. So we can look to Jesus and understand that this didn't happen by mistake, but it was all part of God's sovereign will. that God predestines events and actions all throughout the Scriptures and even in our life to know that God is using them to glorify Himself. And church family, I want to encourage you that if you are in a season where you're hurting, where you feel broken, where you feel stressed or anxious, may you know 
that God is using it for his glory. He is using it to draw you closer to himself, to change your heart. He is using it for good. May this bring about unexplainable peace and confidence in your life. You see, we're not relying on our own strength, but we're relying on the sovereign God to know that he works everything for the good of those who love him. When our view of God is big, our problems become small. It doesn't mean that we don't pretend that we don't have problems, but it does mean that our problems we give to the Lord. The Bible says we can cast all our anxieties and cares upon Him, that He loves us and will change us to make us more like Jesus Christ. When we have problems, we can view them through God's sovereignty and know that God has a purpose, that He will accomplish His purposes and fulfill His will through those things. So let's continue in verse 25 here. Their prayer is going to be a unique prayer here because we see a Christological fulfillment from Psalm chapter 2. Verse 25, it says this, Who through the mouth of our father David your servant said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage, the peoples plot in vain, the kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers who were gathered together against the Lord and against the anointed? For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Again, you see this idea of how they come and say, God, you are our master. You are sovereign. And then as they're praying, what they're doing is they're comparing what's happened in their situation to a psalm in Psalm chapter 2. They believe that David wrote this psalm in Psalm chapter 2 and that this was the word of God. They took the word of God seriously. And now we see that there's a Christological fulfillment between Psalm 2 and what's happening in Acts chapter 4. They're saying that what happened to, to Christ fulfilled this psalm. The kings of the earth relates to Herod and Pontius Pilate. The Gentiles that are mentioned here, it says, along with the Gentiles in Israel, and his anointed is Jesus Christ. Do you see the connections here in these couple of verses? That their unified prayer quoted Psalm 2 because the disciples understood what happened by seeing what the Bible said about it. From Psalm chapter 2, they understood that they should expect this sort of opposition to not be troubled because God is in control of all things. It expresses this complete confidence in God and his victory. For he is king. He is master. That he is ruler. There was this quote from a scholar that says, Servants you can bind, but the word of God is not bound. Church family, when we pray, we can see our circumstances in the light of God's word. For one example, when we're in conflict Perhaps we need to know that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers and rulers, against the darkness of this age, which is found in Ephesians. We know that we have a great enemy that's prowling like a lion, and yet Christ is our king and has power over him. And so when they're quoting these things, why do the nations rage? 
The psalmist seems genuinely, genuinely confused because the nations have absolutely no reason to rage against God. There's no benefit in having our anger set upon God. But it's a vain thing. The rulers, they come together to counsel. And since the time of Babel, all the way back in Genesis, we've seen this, that men have continued to band themselves against God. And yet they oppose both the Lord and His anointed. This anointed speaks of the Messiah, the Jesus Christ that we know, who is our Savior. And so when we oppose God the Father, we oppose Jesus. When we oppose Jesus, we oppose God the Father. We're going to continue in verse 29. It says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, things happen according to God's will. We will go through things that we don't desire or expect. Students, you're going to have to make decisions for yourself, and sometimes that can be absolutely daunting. Parents, seeing your kids leave your home, having to make their own decisions can be daunting. Parents, having to walk through things with your kids you feel totally unprepared for, or seeing your parents age, needing more support, and yet God is still present and he knows exactly what you're going through it seems that every season of life comes with things that are not expected and yet god can use these moments in our life to accomplish his purpose to fulfill his will through all of it church family i hope that as you're thinking through this and what they pray for understanding that god is sovereign that it would bring a great sense of peace and confidence to our lives they say, grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. This request, again, is consumed with God's cause and His glory. Not comfort, not advancement of their own pride or disciples, but they ask for things that will lead, honestly, to more confrontation. They say, God, even in the face of being arrested, even in the face of we don't know what might happen to us, will you give us boldness to, to stand faithful, to continue to preach your word, to show your love to people, to preach the name of Jesus, no matter what it means for our life. May our prayers be like the believers. May we not ask for less of the unexpected, less of the troubles, but boldness for when those times come. They specifically ask for boldness in the advancement for the gospel. It says, by stretching out your hand to heal. You see, they didn't ask for them to be able to do miracles themselves, but they understood that Jesus heals by his hand. And he does it sometimes through his people. It can be a snare to us to long or to desire to be used to do miraculous things. Oftentimes it can be rooted in pride that we want everyone to see how great God can use me. But instead, we can be delighted in the power of God. Not because He's used me or used you to display it, 
but because it's the power of God that's being displayed. I want to share a story with you about missionaries who went to a small tribal village up in the Himalayan mountains. Many years ago, there was a small church there, and young missionaries decided to live amongst these people because they know they didn't have a Bible in their language. They didn't know the name of Jesus. And so they spent years trying to translate the Bible into their language. And finally, people from this village started to believe and trust in the name of Jesus. They gave themselves to follow Christ. And yet they still only had some portions of the Bible in their language. And yet they grasped onto it so firmly and they loved it and they treasured it. And one day, local opposition came and they heard about this church that was developing up in the mountains. The believers there, they talked to the missionaries and they told them, you have to leave. Your life is in danger. We won't let you stay with us any longer because we don't know what they'll do to you. And so they actually asked the missionaries to leave. And so the missionaries begrudgingly left, hearts broken because they knew that this is where they wanted to be with their brothers and sisters in Christ. And yet they knew of what, would, what could happen. And they were scared for the brothers and sisters here in this small village of what might happen to them. So the missionaries ended up going out to a city that was less oppressed, where they could be and lay low and be safe for a little while. But they felt responsible for what might happen to those believers. Some weeks passed, and as the missionaries were in the city, a young man from the village had brought a letter from some believers that they heard that were arrested. You see, the local opposition, the government came in and they found that there were believers in this small village and they took them away. They threw, threw them in jail. And so here now, a letter had come from the prison all the way back to the missionaries. I want to read the message to you. It said this, Dear brother and sister, we know that you're worrying about us at the first chance we're sending you this letter. Do not worry for our sakes. We are well. God's glory is with us. This small cell is God's temple. These chains are God's ornaments. We have been given the greatest privilege on earth, the chance to suffer for our, Lord's, our Lord Jesus. Thank you, brother and sister, for coming to our village and telling us about him. So the missionaries, with tears in their eyes, they looked at each other and they said, we went out to disciple them, but they have discipled us. What an amazing story of sacrifice for the name of Jesus. That stories like this continue to happen today all over the world. And I hope that we would understand that believers, our fellow friends in the faith, are giving their own lives to be servants for the master. That they love Jesus so much that they're willing to pay the high price because it's worthy of the calling that they have on their life. We're going to close with this final verse here in verse 31. It says, And when they prayed, remember, praying with one voice, the place in which they gathered together was shaken, 
They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. It's like they were given an earthquake as a unique emblem of God's pleasure. That their prayer was answered in the presence of the Holy Spirit. We know that it was answered because it says that they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Church family, as we continue to study the book of Acts, we're going to see what happens with the church, with this early church as they go and continue to preach the word of God with boldness. That the presence of the Holy Spirit was so wonderfully manifested that even the dead walls felt the power of the spirit of life. That God's word will continue to proclaim and go to the ends of the earth. And God wants you to be a part of it. Peter and John, they were not willing to forsake Jesus. And they laid down their own lives because they know exactly what Jesus did for them. They belong to Jesus. We belong to Jesus. They desired to make him known at any cost, at the highest cost. And they're just beginning to experience this persecution. In the chapters that follow, we're going to read about what happens to the church. What happens with the word of God. Will it continue to spread? We know what ends up happening is God's word continues to go to the ends of the earth. Where we today have God's word in our hands. Where we can study. Praise be to God. That even through persecution, it becomes like a seed that continues to grow and more believers respond because they see the brothers and sisters who are willing to sacrifice everything. So we pray for these baptism candidates this morning. We come alongside of them. We want to support them and love them and help them as the devil, the devil may tempt them in the, in the days ahead as they've now just professed faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they want to continue to be obedient to him. May many more of us want to profess the name of Jesus. That as we read a story like this, how can we be bold for Jesus Christ? Church family, I, I, I can't help but tell you how convicted I was to think, even as a pastor, that sometimes it becomes so easy to, to live a comfortable life, to be silent about Jesus. That sometimes we wait and we say, God, will you give me an opportunity if he's given you a mouth to speak, there's an opportunity. If he's given you people to be around, he's given you an opportunity. May our church be so filled with the Holy Spirit that we cannot yet help but speak the name of Jesus to people around us. That we wouldn't just be people who have a master of Sunday morning, but that God would be our master of our life. That we would be committed to the truth not just committed to coming and attending a service, but committed to Jesus and what he calls us to do, to make his name known amongst all people, all tribes, and all nations. Will you pray with me? God, we're so thankful to celebrate new life in Christ through baptism, through Michael and David and Liberty's testimonies, our faith was increased to hear how amazing you are to save them. God, we pray that you would help us to live with boldness, the same boldness that Peter and John and the early church prayed for because it's the same Holy Spirit living in us. God, would you give us boldness in the face of temptation, 
in the face of adversity, will we not grow complacent of our faith? But Lord, would we go into dangerous places not knowing how people may treat us or think about us, but we would do it because we love you, because we are passionate for you, that we would be filled with the power of your spirit. And God, would you shake the walls of this church, the walls of our homes, the walls of our workplaces, so that people can see your glory. God, we pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Have a good rest of your day, church family.